0: Glad you're in the Lord's house today. It's a great day, is it not? It is a great day. Last day of May. It's not raining outside. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Woo! How could it get any better? Well, it's my dad's birthday today. That's how it's better. You bet. Man. Old Pop is 76 years old today. I I know what he's thinking. He's thinking, let's just get back to that old habit when you'd give it, you know, a kid to turn five, six years old. You give them a dollar for every, every year they are, you know. My dad wants to reinitiate that, so uh, lay seventy-six cold ones in his hand after the service. He would, he would appreciate that, man. Wow. Well, I've been on a couple of series. I preached on heaven for a while, and then I preached on the devil. That today is just a a standalone sermon, a single sermon. Uh, but it's it's really important, and it's from my heart. It's it's uh, entitled "The Applause of Heaven." The applause of heaven. Sometimes. I try to uh, encourage you with my sermon. Sometimes I, I try to inspire you from the Word of God. Sometimes I just need to confront you with the Word of God. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to be confronted uh, by the words of the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, about, about how we act in life and about how we respond to other people in church. And, and who are we really living for anyway? Okay? That's the real question. I mean, who are you really living for, and why do you do what you do? Is it for the applause of others, or perhaps for the applause of yourself? Well, if that's the way you're living life, you're, you're going down the wrong road, and I can tell you this, you're really frustrated right now, and things aren't going your way because you're living it for the wrong person. Really, we need to be living for the applause of heaven. That's it, the applause of heaven. Uh, some time ago, I, I came across a quote, and I jotted it down. It went something like this. It said, no matter what you're going through in life at the moment, always remember that your circumstances can never determine your future. You can still turn things around if you keep your eyes fully focused on the big prize in front of you. Okay, The big prize. Keep focused on the big prize. Really the apostle Paul said the same thing in Philippians 3:14. He said, "I press toward the goal for the prize of the high call of God in Christ Jesus." So church, today what we need to do is stay focused on the big prize. Okay? Stay focused on the big prize. That's what I want to help us to do today as we open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. In this passage Paul is dealing with some Immature believers in the church at Corinth. They had all kinds of problems in that church, but the biggest problem were just baby Christians acting in a very immature way. And one mark of spiritual maturity, Paul tells us, is to stay focused on the big prize and not settle for just pleasing people. Okay, we'll get there. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I'm going to read 1 through 5. You listen as I read or watch on the screen behind me. Paul said, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who, is both, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would open our hearts To hear the word of truth today Uh, Lord help us to understand that it is for you and you alone that we are to bring praise honor and glory that we are to live our lives for the applause of heaven help us to understand that today Uh, be with me and and help me to say the words that you once said and we ask this in Jesus name amen so we want to stay focused on the big picture In order for us to do that, we've got to be able to answer correctly these three questions. Question number one, what is my place? Okay, I'm asking that for myself, but you need to ask it for yourself. What is my place in life? What is my place in the kingdom of God? What is my place right here in church? Paul tells us his place in verses 1 and 2. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mystery of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Now, one of the big problems at the church in Corinth is that the people had taken on the spirit of the city where traveling philosophers and orators would come to town like entertainers and they would debate their virtues quite vigorously based upon their eloquence and their superior knowledge. They were the orators of the day. They were the great philosophers. And and the people of the church went to hear them. Well, this had trickled into the church so that church members didn't see their pastors and apostles as spiritual leaders any longer. What they saw, these men of God, were as entertainers. And so when they came to church, they wanted a good show. Put on a good show for us. Be one of the great orators or philosophers. You are up there doing what you do for our enjoyment, they thought. (laughs) And what happened was they divided themselves into parties, different factions in the church. Some said, I'm of Paul. Paul is the best. Oh, Paul's the best preacher. Others said, no, no, no. We are in the Apollos group. Apollos, Apollos, he's the man. If he can't do it, nobody can. You know, big Apollos followers. Others followed Cephas, and and they thought he was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And what happened was the church became fragmented and divided. It it was all a very man-centered approach to the life of the body of Christ they were acting like baby Christians. they were acting carnal and so Paul chastises them repeatedly for this he said don't look at other people through those lenses don't look at me and the other apostles that way don't look at each other that way and so the question arises now well just how should we view ourselves and other people in the body of Christ And here's what Paul says. Every believer is two things. Everyone in this room should be two things. First of all, we should be servants. And secondly, we should be stewards. That's it. Now, Paul was an apostle. And when he spoke this, he was speaking as an apostle. So he said, I, I, the apostle Paul, I am a servant and a steward entrusted with the truth of God. That was a very unique calling that God had placed on his life. Not only for him, but for the other apostles as well. Their teachings, their writings became the foundation of the New Testament that we're studying today. So, the last analysis is this. If somebody as important as the Apostle Paul saw himself as a servant and a steward, How much more are all the rest of us in whatever capacity God has us serving in, in His kingdom and His church? Whether it is vocational ministry or volunteer ministry. Let me tell you, everybody in this room is a servant and a steward. That's what we are. That's what we are. We're servants. Paul said that, I'm a servant. When he he uses the word servant, he's using a a unique word. It, it It was a word from the world of ships and sailing. The word literally meant an under rower. An under rower. You say, well, what does that mean, preacher? Well, let me paint a picture for you. Corinth was a port city between the Aegean and Mediterranean Sea. And the Corinthians regularly saw great ships that would pull into port there whether they were great warships or merchant ships and these ships had several decks on them at the lowest deck was the rowing deck it, it was made up of single rows of benches on both sides of the ship where the rowers sat you've probably seen this in old movies alright the rowers are sitting there there's, there's, there's benches they sit on they, maybe they're strapped in And then there's a little platform on either end, depending on what direction they're facing. And on that little platform is where the captain stood. And the captain gave them orders. And their only job was to do what the captain said. If the captain said, row, they were to row. And they had a tempo they would go by. If he wanted them to go faster, that tempo would pick up and they would have to row harder. If he wanted them to stop, he would give them the command and they would stop. Listen, their whole business was to watch the captain and do what the captain said. And so the word came to mean a servant who obeys the orders of his master. And certainly, Paul and the other apostles had received their orders directly from Christ... And they were following the orders that Christ gave to them. Paul said, here's what I am. I am an under rower for Jesus Christ. I got to thinking about that. What are the characteristics of an under rower? And I came up with a bunch, but I don't have time for all of them, so I'll just give you the top three. An under rower obeys the commands of the captain. Period. Whatever the captain says... That's what the under rower is going to do. They don't question. They don't balk. They don't hesitate. Whatever the master says, that's what they do. Number two, they work hard. Have you ever rowed a boat before? Uh, it's hard work. Rowing, here, rowing is hard work. Are y'all even awake out there? Dude, I'm giving it my best. Come on. I, I, I know I'm not one of these great orators, but just at least act like you're interested, all right? Rowan is hard work. I, I thought of this uh, when I was preaching it in the first service, and I just told this story, so I'll just go ahead and tell you guys. When, when I was uh, maybe junior, senior at Hillsdale College, I got a call in my dorm room uh, one morning. A friend of mine, Mike Garner, Uh, He said, hey, Will, I I need to go check some trot lines at the lake over here. Would you go with me? I need somebody to help me. And I said, Mike, it's Wednesday, and I'm supposed to preach at Norman First tonight. He said, no problem. I'm leading the music at Norman First tonight. Uh, We'll be back plenty of time. I just need your help. And so Mike and I were good friends. I said, sure, I'll go with you. So we went to the lake. It's, It's late February. It's cold outside, and the wind is howling, all right? And so we get in his dad's boat, it's a fish ski boat, and we take off across that lake and we get to the other side to check these trout lines and, and the boat just quits running. I mean, it's dead as a doornail. It's not doing anything. And there, there are no other idiots on that lake. I mean, the only two idiots on the lake are in the boat that won't run, all right? And I said, Mike, I mean, what are we going to do? How are we going to get out of this mess? And so he starts looking around in his dad's boat, and the only two oars that we could find were skis. So he gives me a ski, and he takes a ski, and we get on either side of that bass boat, ski boat, and we start rowing. And I mean, we're putting everything into it. We are rowing as hard as we can, and after, I don't know, it seemed like four hours, it wasn't nearly that long, but after a long time, I look around and we've, we've not moved. I mean, we're in a pickle, and so I said, Mike, you know, maybe we need to put the, the skis down and start praying. And so, so we did, and finally somebody came out there and found us and dragged us across the lake, and, and, and we were rescued. My point is this, rowing is hard work. But you know what? When you're working for the Lord, when you're working for our captain, our master, it doesn't seem like it's hard work. Does it? I mean, it's enjoyable. We know we're doing work for the kingdom. You you guys who go on that mission strip in a month, it's going to be hard work. And let me tell you, Brother Johnny and Brother Jason and Brother Dave, they're going to be cracking the whip. And if they're not, somebody else is going to crack the whip on you. And you're thinking, I'm taking vacation time for this. You're going to get up early and you're going to work hard all day. But you know what? It doesn't seem like hard work because you understand I'm doing this for the Lord. And it's making a difference. And it could lead somebody to salvation. There may be somebody in heaven who comes up and thanks me for working hard this day. All right? So they work hard. Number three, they row with the team. There's a whole group of them. What if, what if one of them says, ah, eh, eh. I'm not going to put anything into it. I'm just going to keep... Who, who suffers when somebody slacks? Everybody suffers, man. Everybody suffers. You understand we are a team. Uh, to, to get it specific, we are the body of Christ. Okay? God likens us to a human body. Let me hear you. My body's getting old and some of my parts don't want to work right anymore. You know? Some of them ache and hurt and I get up in the morning and, and my, my back is telling the rest of my body, go back to bed. You know? And I'm saying to my back, I need you back. Come on. Come on. I need you. I need you. I need everybody working here. Come on. Are you with me? Let me tell you. Yeah. And the old knee goes out. And you have to come on, knees. We need you. Let me tell you. You're needed. You're needed in this fellowship. We can't do what God has called us to do without you. You're needed. The, the captain needs you. So you row with it. Here's what Paul said. That's the way we want you to think about us. Paul says, I'm not a big shot. Never been a big shot. Don't want you to think of me as a big shot. What we are are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you, if you really want to get to the, the bare facts of the thing, Jesus is the one who fleshed this out to us. The night he removed his own coat, picked up a towel, girded it around his waist and knelt down and did the job of a servant when he washed his disciples feet you know who you are you're an under rower (laughs) you're a servant but not only that you're a steward The, the word steward essentially meant a household servant who was responsible to the owner of the house for the affairs of the household stewards were entrusted with certain things that really belonged to somebody else. And they were supposed to manage those possessions of another person. Now, in the case of the apostle Paul, he said, I am responsible for the Word of God. That's what's been entrusted to me and the other apostles. He tells us that in verse 2. We are entrusted with the mysteries of God, the secret things of God. It's the wisdom of God. It's the truth. of It's the gospel. He said, that's what I have been entrusted with. But you know what? If you zoom out from what Paul is saying there, the picture encompasses all of us as believers. Everybody in this room. Every person here has been entrusted with certain things. Money, spiritual gifts, opportunities, possessions, relationships. And God puts us rat smack dab in the middle of all of this but he's reminding us today it's not yours (laughs) none of that stuff you have is really yours the money in the bank the big house the nice cars, the motorcycle, the boats all the fancy clothes and purses it's really not yours, it belongs to me I let you use it and I put you in charge of it but you need to be using that stuff for my glory not your own okay so the big question number one question is what is my place here it is I am a servant and I am a steward that leads us to question number two am I being faithful where God has placed me verse 2 moreover it is required in stewards that one be found Faithful, there it is, that one be found faithful. Notice the gauge that God uses. It's not talent. Well, Thank God for that. It's not good looks. Woo. It's not skill. It's not success as men measure success. No, the gauge that God uses is faithfulness. It is required, God says, that my stewards be found faithful. Now, Paul is speaking of his own responsibility to teach and preach the word of truth. That's, that's what he was talking about himself, using himself as an example. And I'm, I am in no way comparing myself to the Apostle Paul, but I've been given the same responsibility. See, that is the call that God has put on my life. That's what God made me for, is to to preach and teach the word of truth. We we have several other pastors in this church. God has given them specific duties of teaching God's word. Our Sunday school teachers and and other teachers do the same thing. The question is this, are we being faithful to deliver the goods? Okay, I've put it like this up here before. My job is to deliver the mail. That's what God has called me to do. Now, I would like to see results from that. I mean, it, it brings joy to my heart when people's lives are changed and when the altars are full after I finish preaching. But, you know, that's none of my business. God didn't call me for the results. God called me to be faithful to do what I'm doing right here. And that, that is delivering the mail. You see, in a sense, everything everything comes with an assignment. If you have the gift of teaching, that gift is an assignment for you to use that gift for God's glory to help other people get closer to God. And God is saying, are you being faithful with the gift I've given you? And it goes for all the spiritual gifts. That means it includes everyone in this room. Maybe you've been given the gift of hospitality. That is a spiritual gift. Where you welcome new people into the church and involved in some kind of welcome, welcoming ministry. Or you open your house for your neighbors to come and, and, and just feel the love of God. Listen, if you've been given that gift of hospitality, there is an assignment that comes along with it. Are you fulfilling that assignment? For some of you in this room, God has given you a burden, a care for kids. You know, there's something about you just love kids, you, you, you love little. You love to see their minds start working, and, and, you, and you want to see little kids come to the faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you know what? That love that God has given you for those kids comes with an assignment. And I've got to ask you, are you being faithful to the assignment God has called you to? For some of you, God is calling you to help us in we worship. <laughs> you knew I would throw that in there somewhere today, because we're having a we worship meeting here a little bit. You know what? You are needed. You're desperately needed. The question is, are you being faithful to that assignment? I could go on and on and on. Let me, let me just irritate a few more of you with this. Your money is a gift from God. You say, oh, hang on, dude. I work hard for that money. When, when I get it, it's all mine to do with what I want to. No, it's not. Not if you're a Christian. Because, you see, that money isn't just a paycheck for the work you've done, that money comes with an assignment for you to use that for God's glory. So if you get money and you don't tithe and use it for God's kingdom, you're not being faithful to the assignment that came with that gift. And the Bible says right here it is required that if you have been given a trust, you have a responsibility. And you must be faithful to that responsibility. you got to be faithful. And if, if you get anything else that I'm telling you today, would you just grab a hold of this and understand this? You know, that's what God is looking for. He's just looking for people who will do what he asks them to do, for you to be faithful, for you to be faithful. And, I, and there's, I'm, I'm, I would not try to, I don't want, I, I'm not tooting my own horn because I don't have a horn to toot. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. Thirty years ago, if I had not been faithful to preach to that small group of people in Fort Worth, Texas, at the Western Hills Church, that totaled an attendance of eight, Had I not been faithful back then to study, and let me tell you, I studied and I worked harder back then on the sermons that I preached than I do today, preaching for 600 people. Had I not been faithful to do what God called me to do for eight people, there is no way in the world I would be standing here today preaching at this church to 600 people. God doesn't care how talented you are, and how gifted you are, and how cute you are, and how cool you are. What God's looking for is faithfulness. Are you going to do what he has asked you to do? Are you faithful? That's what he wants. Brings me to question number three. Really, whose applause counts? When it comes down to it, who, whose applause really counts? In the next three verses, there are repeated references to judging and being judged. Now we do this all the time. We make judge judgments every day. We, we judge things and, and matters and people. Sometimes we're right. A lot of times we're wrong. But it, when it comes to being judged by others, okay Not only do we judge other people, did you people judge you? And when it comes to being judged by others, it really boils down to whose applause really counts? For whose pleasure am I really living my life? Big question is this, whose applause really counts? Paul goes through a list here. Do you do what you do for the applause of others? He talks about that in verse 3. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should judge or should be judged by you or by any human court. Okay, bottom line is this. Here's what Paul's saying. When we serve the Lord in any visible capacity, other people are going to judge us. That's just part and parcel with it. I understand every Sunday morning when I get up here between 9 o'clock and sometimes Sunday evening, I am going to be judged by 600 people. I know that just the way it is, the way the ball bounces. Some people are going to praise you. Other people are going to criticize you. I'm going to make some people happy today. I'm going to tick some people off. Happens every single Sunday. I understand that. The question is, whose applause really counts? If we are playing for the applause of other people, what happens is, is that we become like the Pharisees in Jesus' day, whose main motivation is just pleasing other people instead of serving the Lord. I mean, and whether it's advice I'm giving a young preacher or, or something I'm telling this whole congregation, man, what a miserable way to live your life, just trying to please other people. Because here's how it works. Some, some people will criticize you, and, and that bothers you. It really, it really it hurts you that someone would criticize you, and so you begin catering to them. We call it uh, greasing the squeaky wheel. You put more grease on it so it doesn't squeak as bad. I've been doing this for over 30 years in the church, and here's what I found out. There's no amount of grease that you can put on some squeaky wheels to stop them from squeaking. Some people think that their spiritual gift is criticizing. So it doesn't matter how much you cater to them and how much you tell them yes and allow them to get their way, they're still going to be critical. And if all you do is live your life trying to appease those people, you are going to be absolutely miserable and it's going to drive you crazy. On the other hand, there will be people who who praise you. And, and you're the greatest thing. You are so great. You, you, are, you are so awesome. Oh, oh, I love it when you sing. You're the best singer we have. And, oh, that was a great sermon. I love your sermon. Yeah. Again, you, you just got to be careful. Because the same people who praise you one day can be the critical ones next week. And if all you do is live for those people who praise you, you know what? Dude, you're in the same trap. Now, does that mean I don't give a flip what you think or I don't care how you feel? I do. I do care about you. I care about every person in this church. We should care about each other. But you know what? We shouldn't live our life for the applause of others. That's what Paul is saying. Nor should we live our lives for the applause of ourselves. Well, what do you mean by that? Verses 3 and 4. Paul said, in fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. Paul is saying, basically, I don't even judge myself. Now, let me tell you what that doesn't mean. That does not mean that he didn't examine himself and evaluate what he is doing, because I know that Paul did. He was constantly evaluating his life his relationship with Christ, his ministry, and what he is doing. And he tells us that we need to be doing the exact same thing. We need to evaluate our life. What he is saying here is this. I am not aware of any area in my life where I am not right with God. He said, I've done a spiritual inventory. And as far as I know, everything is right between me and God. My conscience is clear. But he says, along with that, understand, I'm not the final judge on this. I'm not the final judge on the Apostle Paul. I don't get to judge my own life. Ultimately, God will. Here's the deal, friends. We can deceive ourselves. We, we can get to a point in our life where we justify our own actions and attitudes... And where we are past the point of feeling guilty. God help us. So who, whose applause really counts? Is it the applause of others or the applause of myself? Really, as I thought about this, I, I came up with, with three problems when, when we live for the applause of others and the applause of ourselves. First of all, the wrong person is doing the evaluating. It's either others or yourself. no. God is the ultimate judge. Paul said in verse 4, It is the Lord who judges me. That is in the present tense. This is something that God is doing constantly. In fact, God is doing that right now as we speak. The point is this. It's God's job. God's the judge. Not you. So, quit judging other people. It ain't your job. Second, this is the wrong time to be judging. Verse 5, Therefore, judge nothing before the time. Wait until the Lord comes. What he's speaking of there is the second coming. When all of the facts about you and me are in. Right now they're not. The books haven't been closed. The time is not over. Number three, the wrong data is being used as we judge ourselves and others. Verse five, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Wow, that's big. Uh, Only the light of God can truly reveal the motives of men's hearts. You know, we think we're so smart, don't we? I mean, I'm I'm talking about myself. We do. We, We think we can... We think we can read people. We think we know what people are thinking. Mm. Bottom line is we don't. We really don't have a clear enough view to, to really make good judgments about other people. Only God has that vantage point. Only God can see what's in a man's heart. In fact, the Bible says this we look on the outward appearance. That's how we judge people. God doesn't do, God looks on the heart. God sees what's going on on the inside. And it says in this verse, He is going to bring to light what is hidden in darkness, and He is going to expose the motives that we cannot see. So, whose applause really counts? Others? No. Ourself? I don't think so. What about third option? The applause of God. Why why don't we just decide we're going to live our life for the applause of God? Uh, That's what he says in verses 4 and 5. At the end of verse 5 he says, Then each one's praise will come from God. People are fickle. They can praise you one day and criticize you the next. Your own evaluation of yourself is really not very good because you have ups and downs. Why not live your life to get the applause of the one who knows everything about everyone? Why don't you live your life to get his applause and his praise? Well, the question is, how do I do that? How do I live my life to please God? Well, the Bible very clearly says that apart from faith, it is impossible to please God. If I want to live my life to please God, that means I've got to have faith smack dab in the middle of my life. I've got to be living with faith. I've got to be living by faith, simple faith in Jesus Christ, trusting Him, letting Him be the captain of my life. Not only living by faith, but also being faithful to Him. And the result of that is God's going to be pleased with my life. Now, let let me let you into my own mind and heart, okay? I talk about my mornings with God. Every morning I spend time with God. Good, good old cup of coffee, uh, my, my Bible on my iPhone that I read every day, and my time in prayer with God. I pray for my family, pray for this ministry. I go through and pray for the requests we have, for all the staff members, all the ministries of this church. Pray for, pray for all that stuff. But, but when it comes back to praying for me, and I do pray for myself because I need it, I say something like this. Lord, today help help me, Will Harmon, to live my life in such a way that brings praise, honor, and glory to you. Lord, I I want to be a blessing to you. Do you understand that? I want to be a blessing to you, God. I want you to be able to look down, look down and say, That's my boy. I do that with my kids when they're doing something, whatever it is. Number 11 is mine. He just made that catch out there. It's my boy. Proud of him. You know what? I want God to be proud of me. So I say, Lord, can I, can I please help me to be a blessing to you? I want to bless you, God, today, and I also want to bless other people. So help me do that, Lord. Because really, you know what, when it all comes down to, what matters is, is God pleased with us? Is God, when God looks down, Jason, when God looks down, is he smiling on you? That's what we want. And so it matters how we live our life. It matters what we do every day and the way we do it. I read about a preacher who was uh, doing the funeral of a, a good friend of his. And as he spoke uh, of the span of this man's life, he said, The official record is going to show September 12, 1940 through April 22, 2007. The dash, he said, between those dates made all the difference. He was born, he died. What mattered was the dash in between. Then he spoke these words, for it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. What better way to live one's life, to spend one's dash, than for the applause of heaven? So, if, if you're tired of trying to measure up to other people's expectations for your life, and if you are weary of the demands that other people put on you, why don't you try to start living solely for the applause of God? Because let me tell you, if you please Him, I mean, that, that's all that matters. Heavenly Father, I, I pray that you would be pleased with our lives today. And if, if there is something wrong in our heart, Lord, if maybe there's someone here today that's never accepted you as their personal Lord and Savior. They've never been born again. They've never received Christ. May they come today and be saved and, and have you shower your love on them. Lord, if, if there's some Christians here today who've allowed other things or stuff or people in this world to come between you and them and and, and they're really not focused on living for you. Lord help us help us to recognize that today. To come to the altar and pray and and just get things right with you. Lord may, may many of us come today and have this as our prayer of commitment. Lord help me to live every day in such a way that I bring praise, honor and glory to you. And then go out and live that way, Lord. Help us to do that. For those who just need to come and pray and spend time at the altar, make it, uh, make it available and easy for my friends to come and do that now. We love you, Lord. We commit what is about to happen in this service to you. And we do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? The praise team's going to sing. And we open up our altars for you to come and pray. Now's the time. Here's the place. Would you come?